0: Go ahead, if you have your Bibles or if you have your phone, uh, flip over to Acts chapter three. We're in a series on the book of Acts called House of Acts. And essentially what we're hoping is as we look at the first house, if you will, the first family of God, if you will, in uh, the book of Acts, that we would become, Saints Hill Church would become a house of Acts. We, um, one of the things that we say around here, if you're new, maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't, um, we say that the Bible is not just true, it's true but that the Bible is livable. That what we read on these pages, we can actually experience in our lives. Um, So turn to Acts chapter three, that's where we're gonna be now. Up to this point in the story, Jesus has left to be at the right hand of the Father. The Spirit, His Spirit, came. It's crazy, Acts chapter two, read about it. Um, The first church comes to be And they get their first liturgy. And what is it? It's eating together. It's sitting under Bible teaching. It's generosity with their money and their possessions. And it's evangelism. Many people are being added to their number. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to jump right back into the story. And we are going to cover all of chapter 3. So buckle up. Look down at your Bibles. Verse 1 says this. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. What I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now, if you grew up reading the Bible, you're probably familiar with this story. It's a classic kid's story. It's amazing. It has all of the right elements. It has people walking in great faith. It has an incredible response to God touching someone, and it has evangelism, telling other people about what happened to you. And it's almost like when we read this, we're like, well, we've heard stories like this. We've read stories like this. Jesus did stuff like that. We just got done, you know, if you look if it chronologically as you go through the Bible, if you were to just go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would have gotten tons of stories just like this one. It's almost as if Jesus never left. Interesting. Now, you know Peter never one to miss an opportunity to speak, he pivots to the crowd to explain this very weird thing that just happened. Look down at your Bibles, verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? I love that. Why are you surprised? This is what has been coming for a long time. And notice in the following verses, Peter places power being outpoured on humanity, the Holy Spirit power. Um, he places that into the meta-narrative, the story of God that's been building throughout all of the scripture up to this point. It's not random. This power being poured out, this healing that you just saw, oh, this is just fruition of what has been coming. Look down your Bibles, verse Thirteen. He gives this history. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him right before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Now notice that it is how was he healed Remember he kind of laughs he's like you think this was our own power you think this was our own righteousness or godliness no it was the name of Jesus through which power was poured out and through which the faith came to make him well now isn't that interesting through just a simple name he's healed right how how, how look down at your bibles again It says this in verse 16, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. Isn't that interesting verbiage? It is Jesus' name and the faith that has come through him, Jesus, that has healed him. Uh, Have you ever heard of a name that can cause a profound reaction, so profound that it changes circumstances? Maybe there's some names that are coming uh, up for you right now, but, but how about this name, Voldemort. You guys remember, like, <laughs> the office when Jim is like, Voldemort. And <laughs> Dwight is like, no, don't say his name. Right? Like, I, I, okay. Um, we can, you can email me later. You want to sit down and have a coffee? I'll have a coffee with you later about this. But I'm in the middle of book seven, okay? And uh, in, at this point in the book, the name Voldemort, even if it's just uttered, what happens? All of a sudden, his cronies show up. The name's cursed. So you say the name and something happens. His cronies show up. Well, I know it's a funny analogy, but we're kind of seeing that right here. The name of Jesus is uttered and faith shows up. The name of Jesus is uttered and healing happens through the name of Jesus. Verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all all the prophets. So you know all those prophets that you guys studied that you know so well? All of them were pointing to this. The prophets were saying that his Messiah, God's Messiah, Jesus, would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What is repentance in this context? Well, it's clear. It's these Jewish people witnessing this healing must now change their minds about Jesus. What does it mean to repent? It's you changing your mind about Jesus and changing your mind about what's going on around you. That's repentance. And this is such a good, it's one of my favorite descriptions in all of the Bible of what repentance actually brings. When you change your mind about God, whoa, I just saw power. I gotta change my mind. Whoa, I just saw God show up and do that thing. I think I'm gonna have to change my mind about this. What happens Refreshing Times of refreshing come from the Lord. Have you ever had that? You ever had that sin weighing heavily on your heart? You ever had an incorrect belief take up space in your heart and in your mind and you finally repent of it? You change your mind, you change your heart and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm refreshed. I'm no longer carrying it anymore. The blood of Jesus has now set me free. That's what can happen when you repent. Verse 20. And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. He's alluding to Jesus. Anyone who does not listen to him, to Jesus, will be completely cut off from their people, the people of God. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your father and fathers. In other words, this power, this Holy Spirit, Jesus, it's your inheritance. You're Jewish. This is intended for you. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning you, each of you from your wicked ways." In other words, he's giving them this lesson. Didn't you believe the prophets? Didn't you believe, starting from Samuel, working your way throughout the text, the prophets have been pointing to this inheritance that you have and it's the blessing that would come from God himself being among you. Oh, you lowered your expectations of what blessing really meant so you don't understand this. But we see that in this passage, the blessing of God is even better than any of these people had thought. So a couple questions for us tonight. What does this passage mean? What does this mean for us in 2019 today? Well, firstly, this passage is about more than money. If you're taking notes, write that down. This passage is about more than finances. Now, notice that the man, he's not asking for healing, right? He's asking for money. Now, what is money? What exactly is money? It's kind of a funny question, But in other words, here's what I'm getting at. What is this man hoping for? If he's sitting at the gate and he's asking for money, what is he hoping for? Well, he's probably hoping for food, right? He probably needs to go buy. You know, he's disabled. He can't work. He needs money. And so he needs social mobility, the ability to actually go buy what he needs to buy, pay the rent that he needs to pay, whatever it is. He needs his basic needs met. So this man is hoping for this. Next slide. You'll probably recognize this image. This is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, He's hoping for the physiological needs. At the base of the pyramid, that's what he's hoping for. He's like, I want food, I want shelter, I need some clothing, right? Can you give me some money? He's going baseline. I just need this thing or I need these things and then you can be, go on with your day, do whatever you need to do. But he gets so much more. Look down at your Bibles, verse four. Peter looked straight at him as did John and they said, look at us. What is that? That's human connection, that's human interaction, they treat him as a human. They treat him with dignity. We want to see you, they're like, we can't, put that slide back up there. We can't just leave you at baseline, we're actually bumping you up to love and belonging. A sense of connection with another human. Look at us. And then they give him something else entirely. They take him all the way to the top. Look down at your Bibles, verse six. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I don't have those. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now, obviously, this is an amazing, this is an amazing healing. This is an incredible thing. If that were to happen here, we would all be like... We've known that guy for years, he's been in the wheelchair for years, and now he's out there jumping. He's like cartwheeling, he's doing backflips. It's incredible. We would all be amazed, incredible healing. But what exactly does healing do? Is healing just the reversal of an ailment, a physical issue, or is healing more than that? I would argue that healing is an access point to experience the love of God. Healing solves a physical issue, but it doesn't only do that. What healing does when it happens to you is it creates a little door in your life for you to go deeper with God. The glory of healing isn't just the physical issue being reversed, because how many of you guys understand all healing is temporary? There is a time to die. Not everybody dies at the right time, and that's why we see Jesus raising people from the dead, but there is a time to die, and not all healing is, is it's, it, healing isn't forever, Right? But we get a little bit of a clue on what healing is through Jesus. Jesus called healing signs. How many of you guys have heard that before? Jesus is called healing signs and wonders. A few of you? No, seriously. How many of you have heard of that? You've heard? Okay, so Jesus calls healing signs. Now, what exactly is a sign? A sign is something that points to a greater reality, right? Let's say that, I've used this example before, but let's say that there's a new restaurant in town. And everybody's talking about this restaurant. Oh, you have to go to this restaurant. It's so good. It's the best pizza you'll ever have in your whole life. I'm always down for pizza so count me in. So you and your friends get to talking. You're like, you know what? Everybody's talking about this restaurant. We'll see if it lives up to the hype. We're just going to go. Now, you wouldn't just drive to the restaurant to look at the sign on the restaurant and be like, oh, that's a great sign. We're out. No, the sign, what does the sign do? It points to the greater reality which is the meal inside. And you won't rest satisfied with just seeing a sign. You need what's deeper, the meal. So when Jesus calls healing a sign, what is he saying? It's not the main point. It's pointing towards the main thing, which is the thing that Jesus said can't be removed. It's intimacy. It's what Mary chose. It's sitting at his feet. That's what healing points to. It's an access point for us to have intimacy with our good Father. What healing does is it gives us what Maslow says everyone is really after. Let's put that slide up again. Self-actualization, desire to become the most that one can be. See, as Christians, we know that self-actualization doesn't come from the self, because we weren't made by the self, so we're not going to perfect the self. It comes from being known by your creator, and that's what this man got. See you thought that Yahweh was distant hadn't spoken in years. You thought that Jesus was just another failed messiah like the, you know, five who came before him. Oh no, there's an access point in your life now because you just got touched by God. So will you give yourself to him? Will you give yourself to him? And there he is, jumping and praising and leaping to God. Healing serves the purpose to love people into a relationship with a God who wants them. Healing serves the purpose to love people into a relationship with a God who actually wants them. That's what healing does. Secondly, this passage means that our gospel, yes, our gospel must come with power. Our gospel must come with power. You guys remember when you were in elementary school and you would, you know, bring an item, of uh, something to class to do show and tell with. I had, like, I had d- at one point, dug up rocks in my backyard, convinced they were dinosaur bones, brought them to class, and I was explaining, you know, it's show and tell, right? It's like, here is my you know, dinosaur bone, and people are like, uh, what? Um, and, uh, and let me tell you about it. I, I, I know everything about it. It's been here for millions of years, or whatever, you know, whatever. Um, that's exactly what's happening in this passage. It, notice, it's a demonstration of power and then an explanation of the power. It's a demonstration, here's the power, and then it's an explanation of the power, where the power came from, who has the power and all of that. Now, often, we do things backwards in the church, do we not? We're like, let me explain everything, all the nuances of Christianity, why we believe what we do. We're really not that, that crazy. Um, and then, once we get you in, then you can see all the crazy stuff, okay? Then you can see all the wacky things. But, but here's the deal, people, outside of these doors, are not wondering if there's a different flavor of the same life that they already have. They're wondering if there's a, something fundamentally different that could bring them what they long for most. That's, That's what they're they're, they're, they're not wondering, like, uh, I, I started this youth group um, at the church that I worked at before this, and for, for the first two years, my whole goal was basically to do, to do apologetics with these students. I don't know if you remember this, Grace, maybe you do, but I was basically like, some of our students who are in the youth group are here and they lived through some of those years and into the better years. But but my whole vision was like, I'm just gonna convince your mind that Jesus makes sense. He says, these gospels, they're historically reliable. He really rose from the dead. There's lots of reasons for it. And it's great to to focus on some of those things. But I, I had this massive shift in my life a couple years into it where the Lord just said, Alex, your job is to not you know, try to convince people to adhere to another set of beliefs. It's to put my power on display and leave the results up to me. It's to put, it's to put my power on display and, you leave, and leave the results up to me. People are wondering if there's something fundamentally different, a fundamentally different life out there than the one that they currently have. They're desperate for it. I work at a, a brewery part-time in uh, Dundee and there was a gentleman who came in the other night and um, it, it was just me and him and so we, we had a really great conversation and eventually found out that I was a pastor and, um, and he said, you know, he was asking me, you know, okay, so what's the name of the church and, and, and where is it and you know, what's your vision for the church and, and what are you guys really like going after? And so I was saying, yeah, you know, our vision for the church is to see heaven come in every single home in the Willamette Valley. And, and to somebody who isn't a part of the church or hasn't read the scriptures, he's like, um, Heaven come? No, we go to heaven. What do you mean, heaven come? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, no, no. Our, my desire is for peace to become the atmosphere of every home in this valley. He's like, what? I'm like, I, I, my desire is that hope would be the operating system within families. That we check our thoughts. We don't. No, no, no. Actually, that thought does not sound like his thoughts. We're not gonna. We're not gonna have that thought in this home. We're gonna have his thoughts in this home. So hope is the result. That honor would be the culture of relationships. That we don't tear one another down, we celebrate when our sibling does better than us. We celebrate when we see our children go beyond what we could have ever imagined for ourselves. That we'd honor one another. That emotional and physical wholeness would take place for every person in every home here in our valley. And as I described this to him, you could just see the wonder on his face. He's like, wow, that would be amazing. And in this really candid moment, he said, that's everything that I've ever wanted for my home. What is that? It's a touch from God. It's It's a tangible sign of the kingdom that people are longing for more than a list of things to believe. Belief is gonna come, but it's show, demonstration of power, and then let me tell you about that. Oh, you got healed? You're curious about that? Let me tell you about it. Oh, I knew something about you that there's no way that I could have known. Let me tell you about that. There's a God behind it. It's not my godliness. It's, it's not like that I'm some great person. It's that the power of Christ has found a home in my heart and I've stewarded of him in such a way that it would change the nations. <laughs> so our lives must be walking demonstrations of power. One of the things that Jake and I talk about all the time is that we want our lives to be forks in the road. When you meet us, you have a decision. You, saw, you see God in our lives in such a way that now you have a choice. Am I gonna give myself to this same God that this person has given their lives to? Or am I gonna just keep on living? That's what I want. I don't know if that, I, I don't think that always happens, but that's what I want my life to be—a fork in the road, the power of God so at play in my life that when people encounter me, they have a decision to make. It, it, remember, the, the scriptures are so clear: it's taste, and then you'll see that the Lord is good. We have to be—we have to give this the same to everybody. What we've been given by God, we have to give to others. Taste, and then you'll see. It's his kindness being expressed to us through somebody taking a moment to either give that word, pray for that thing that's going wrong in our lives, whatever it is, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, to changing our minds. So lastly, this passage means that power is for everyone. Power's for you. This evening, verse six, says this, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So what do you have? Do you have this? What do you have this evening? Peter knew what he had, and it made all the difference. Do you know what you have? I want you to imagine this. Imagine that you have an aunt who passes away. You didn't even know you had this aunt. But the aunt, she passes away. She knew about you. And she has an inheritance for you of $3 million dollars. Now, $3 is doesn't have to change most people's lives forever. You may never have to work again if you're really frugal, right? You could probably do anything. You know, $3 million, you could travel the world. You could buy a house here or there. You could do whatever you want, right? $3 million is going to change the game financially for you. So let's say they, this happens. This ant passes away, and all of a sudden, you have $3 million in the bank account. Now, there are two steps to you accessing that money and changing your life. The first step is this. You have to know that it exists, you have to be told by somebody, hey, there was this aunt you didn't know about, and you're $3 million richer. You have to know about it. But the second thing is this. You have to make a withdrawal. You can't just leave the money sitting in the bank if you want it to actually impact your life. You're going to actually have to withdraw that money and spend it and give it and do whatever you, you need to do with it, right? So let me ask you this. Could something be true about you without you knowing it? Could something be true about who you are as somebody who's in Christ, without you knowing it? Could something be true about you without you believing it? Many Christians, um, they, live a theolo- they live with a theological reality about who they are, sons, daughters, royalty within the kingdom, all of the resources of heaven at their disposal. In the language of Ephesians chapter one, every spiritual gift in the heavenly realms given to them. In the language of Romans eight, no condemnation over their lives ever, no matter what. And yet, they rarely see the power of God in their lives because they never make a withdrawal on it. They never access it. They never take the risk. They never say the prayer for that person because they're not really sure. Little old me, (laughs) Do I have that sort of ability, what I just read about? I I don't know. I don't know about that. So here's what we're going to do tonight, because I can tell by all of your enthusiasm that maybe some of you are in this room, and you actually, there's something true about you, and you actually don't believe it, and you actually don't know it. So we're going to do a little bit of equipping tonight. You have an inheritance, and it's time for us to take a withdrawal. All right? So question number one, do you actually have the Holy Spirit power in you to heal people who are sick? Do you have it? Do you believe that you have it? Have you ever noticed um, the gift that Jesus says the Father will give in this passage? I I had it until this week, and it's just, it's amazing. Um, in, In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says this, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know how to give good gifts. One of the things that my wife, my wife just loves to do is she loves to give gifts. It's like she schemes about how to give good gifts and she's, she keeps like notes in her phone. But people will just mention something. Oh, I really liked that hat. And next thing you know, you're like, how did you know that? How did you know that? I just said that like a year ago. She's like, I keep notes. So she's just scheming about how to, how, how to give good gifts. If my wife knows how to do that, That's baseline. The Father knows how to do quite a bit more. He'll give the Holy Spirit to anybody who wants it. Do you want the Holy Spirit? Have you asked for the Holy Spirit? He'll give it to you. Or remember all the way back in Acts chapter two. Remember, we just read this uh, uh, last week. Um, If you repent and you be baptized, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for all who are far off. Just repent, get baptized, and you get the Holy Spirit. So the question is this. Because of those things are true, do you have the same power that Peter had? (laughs) Okay, here we go. I got a little thought experiment. I wasn't sure if we would do this, but just because of your lack of enthusiasm, we're going to do this. (laughs) Um, I I, want to do a little bit of a thought experiment. I want you to make a mental note. You don't have to, like, raise your hand or say yes or no to any of this. Just make an internal mental note when I read some of these statements off if these are true about you. And maybe some of these will be true, maybe all of these will be true, maybe none of these will be true, I, I, I don't know, but just make a little bit of a mental note in your mind um, if these things are true about you. Okay, first question, do you believe that Jesus was a real person? Just make a mental note in your mind, do you believe that he was a real person, he really existed in the first century, do you believe it? Okay, second question, do you believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was in fact God's son? That he was God incarnate. That when he, you know one of the things that Jesus says, such a great line. When you see me, you're looking at the Father. Do you believe that? Is that true? Make a mental note. Do you believe that what Jesus said is truth? That it's absolute truth? That when Jesus set a standard, that is the standard because he is the creator. Because he's God. Do you believe that? Just make a mental note if you believe that. Okay. Do you believe that Jesus did the miraculous, that when you read about him you know, healing this person or having this word about this gal who had five husbands, do you believe that when we read those miraculous stories, raising Lazarus from the dead, that he actually did those things? Just make a mental note. Do you believe that? Okay, lastly. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Just make a mental note. Did, I mean, literally, there was a man named Jesus, a first century Jew, who died, crucified, and there is no grave that contains that first century man's body. He rose from the dead. Do you believe that? Okay, I want us to all read this uh, out loud together. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Do you believe him? The litmus test of our beliefs isn't an intellectual assent, but it's if we do what Jesus did. That's what tests our belief. Does your life look like the life of Jesus, doing the miraculous, praying for healing, having words about people? Does it look like that? The, to the degree that we believe Jesus, who he was who he said he was, he really died, really rose from the grave, he really gives the Holy Spirit to whoever asked, to the degree that we believe that is the degree that we will make a withdrawal on our account. Okay, I'm going to try over here. <laughs> to the degree that we believe, this side, I don't know what's going on over there, you guys. To the degree that we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, rose from the dead, will give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks for it, to that degree will we choose to make withdrawals on the account we have in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, okay? <laughs> it's a good word because the, the, because the ball is in our court. The ball's in our court. We have an opportunity to actually see the impossible happen in our valley. And the only thing that stands between the status quo and what we've always just called normal and seeing heaven come is us making a choice to say, I'll take you at your word. I'll take you at your word. Romans 8 verse 11 says this. This is just, this is staggering. I almost, I have a hard time believing this, just to be honest. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Okay, so the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead It's the same spirit that you have. So, you, yes, you, if you're sitting here tonight and you're going, "Mm, I don't know about that. No, no, no. Yes, you, you have an answer to everything, including death. He did it before, and he can do it again through your life. Let this sink into our hearts, God. Let this sink into our hearts. Now, I want to end by just addressing a few questions around healing in general. I want us to just think through a couple things around healing. The first is this. There's a conflict in healing that's taking place. As you read the Gospels, you will see that Jesus treated sickness the same way that he treated sin. Jesus treated sickness the same way that he treated sin. In his mind, both are corrupting forces on the good creation that he made. Oftentimes, we see in the Gospels that the forgiveness of sin is often accompanied with physical healing. Why do they go together? Well, Jesus saw the true enemy behind both was the devil. It had, they have the same source, sin, corruption of the soul, corruption of the emotions, or physical corruption, corruption of the body, both have their same source, and it's the enemy, So Jesus, he meets spiritual and physical sickness the same. There's an enemy behind it, and it's my job to destroy the works of the enemy. That's what Jesus does. So so here's just some very simple truths. If you need to get your phone out and take a photo of this, I really encourage you to do so. Some simple truths I feel like we need to root down into our hearts. The first is this. God made physical things. He loves the physical. There's no division between what's spiritual and what's physical. In God's mind, he made both, and they have equal precedent in the life of every believer. Secondly, the functioning of things correctly is what God called good. God makes everything, but He doesn't just make everything in chapter one and chapter two of Genesis and sit back and be like, those are some good things that I made. They're good to the degree that they function, that land functions the way that it should, water the way that it should, humans the way that they should. God loves things that function correctly. Number three, any force that would seek to disrupt the correct functioning of God's creation is seen as a threat. No matter what, Jesus sees something that's trying to corrupt the way that he designed things, it's a threat. Number four, the enemy, enemy of God, Satan, was the first to corrupt the intention of God's good creation and continues to do so. So when we pray for healing, when we share that prophetic word, when we sing the song of praise, or we take time to pray for our town, make no mistake, we are going to war. There's a real enemy who would love nothing more than to steal, kill and destroy life, and those who side with Jesus take up his mission to bring life and life abundantly. There's no other option. It's not like, yeah, I'm with Jesus, he's cool, but all that like, you know, pushing back the enemy and like seeing heaven come. I don't know. No, no, no. You you sided with a guy who's made it his aim to destroy the works of the enemy. Your life is called to do the same. So whenever I see cancer, Whenever I see dementia, whenever I see even a broken arm, whenever I see psychological turmoil, even if the pain or the brokenness came from natural causes, I know that what we call natural is the brokenness of Genesis 3, which was the enemy's desire and design. So my job is to go to war and restore Genesis chapter 1, not call Genesis chapter 3 normal. I I sided when I came to the cross and I gave myself to Jesus, I sided with a God who wants to see heaven and earth collide. My life has to show that. Healing is warfare. Secondly, what about suffering? What about suffering? Inevitably, when we talk about healing, we have to talk about people who don't get healed or who suffer terribly in this life, sometimes for long, long periods of time, sometimes for all of their lives. Why does it happen? Why does it happen? People have wrestled for thousands of years with this question, but here's my take, by no means uh, exhaustive, and honestly, just my opinion, you don't have to agree with me, but here's my take. Jesus perfectly exemplifies God's desires in the new covenant, stopping storms and healing suffering. I don't have to wonder about what God's will is. He already told me, on earth as it is in heaven. I start from this baseline. I don't have to wonder if God wants to heal this person. I look at the person of Jesus. What did he say? When you see me, you're seeing the Father. I know what God wants within this new covenant that we get to live in. He wants to stop storms, not bring them. He wants to heal suffering, not cause it. Number two, we are at war with the enemy. He would like to steal, kill, and destroy everyone. Nobody's exempt from that. Number three, my job is to partner with truth and power and give an answer to the problems of my world. So I don't know why things happen. I know that there's a real enemy behind the corruption of God's creation. And so my best attempt is just to source good and evil correctly. God wants good. The enemy wants the opposite. Now, that being said, there are many who suffer horribly and who deal with lifelong pain. While it's my goal, and it's this church's goal, to see in our time and in our space that amount of sickness decrease, especially within our Willamette Valley, I know there's going to be suffering. I know there's going to be people who suffer. Jesus talked um, a lot about people who follow him who are going to suffer much. But interestingly he doesn't talk about them suffering from sickness. Jesus took care of sickness, and he didn't claim ever that it was someone's cross to bear. Okay? You never see Jesus talking about someone suffering and saying, it's just their cross to bear. In fact, anytime Jesus uh, comes across suffering, he's like, that has to stop now. Acceptable suffering in Jesus' mind was the persecution that the world would give to those who follow a crucified man when he, there's two kinds of suffering, he's not talking about physical suffering, uh, about um, sickness, uh, physical ailment when he talks about taking up your cross and following him. He's like, no, 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 we need to fix that now. But he is talking about another kind of suffering which comes from you giving yourself wholly, giving that big yes to a crucified man and what people will say and what people will do around you. Jesus eradicated pain, sickness, and death, but walked into the suffering from those who wanted him dead. There's a difference between those two. Now, God is so good that he has the ability to use for good what the enemy meant for evil. So the question is this how do you suffer well? When you're suffering, whether it's with sickness or whether it's from people who are attacking you for what you believe, how do you suffer well? Now, once again, not exhaustive whatsoever, but just some thoughts that I had this week. Firstly, pray for faith. It's impossible to read the Gospels and not see that faith plays a role in healing. Um, It doesn't have to be your faith. It could be the people around you who have faith. That's why the second one is this. Get around people with faith. God, give me your faith. Help me trust you more. I want to trust your, your character. God, would you give me, this is what I've asked God so many times, give me little things in my life to trust you for so that I can build up a history with you that I can draw upon when the big issue faces me. When the big issue comes, I can go, no, 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 I have a collective history with you for you know, 50 plus years of you being faithful, and now I get to draw on that to have faith for what you can do in this next moment. Thirdly, go after healing. Let's pray for healing. My wife, um, she has uh, scoliosis. She's had it her whole life, really horribly. It, it causes her an incredible amount of pain. Anytime somebody mentions from the stage, I think God's healing scoliosis, no matter what church we're at, this one or another one, she's gonna come for prayer. She's made a covenant in her heart. I will come no matter what, whenever I I hear that called out because I just never know when healing may be poured out on my life. The only thing that can take away relationship with the Father is personal offense. This is a big lesson for us to learn. The only thing that can remove intimacy with the Father is us taking offense at healing being delayed or not happening. Say healing doesn't happen or what you hope for doesn't take place. When you don't allow that to violate the intimacy and relationship you have with God, then you haven't allowed offense to remove faith. Sometimes what happens is we create theologies based on what we see, and then we wonder why our faith is diminished. We're to come to the scriptures and to create a theology around this, and then to walk in faith. Now there's a, like we've talked about, there's a real enemy who doesn't want that to happen. So source good and evil correctly, the enemy steals, kills, and destroys. Jesus says, I've come to bring life, and life abundantly. I don't have to wonder, is God causing this, you know, to happen to me? Why is he healing that person, and not me? Why, why is this happening, and, and, whoa, time out. Healing's a sign, and I already enjoy what it's pointing to. So I will not allow offense to get in between that relationship that I have with him. Lastly, Don't waste pain. Don't waste pain. Pain has an ability to bring eternity into focus and sharpen our character and life focus. When you're going through pain, it just has this this amazing ability to just sharpen us up and just go, oh, my life is not about these little luxuries anymore. My life is about this. And I will give all of my remaining days to this thing, to the kingdom. Don't waste that time. Pain has an incredible ability to kind of bring to the surface things in your character that do need to be dealt with and God is so good that he can turn what the enemy meant to destroy you with, he can turn it into something that's so beautiful, a time of refreshing, a time of close intimacy with him, a time of your character being shaped into his. To end, um, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It is the focus of heaven, the focus on his space and on his intentions that lead to an eternal glory. Lastly, how do we pray for healing? How do we actually pray for healing? Well first we have to start with good theology. Those who believe, all of you, you, will do what Jesus did. Just just a few other passages in case you you, you still don't believe me. Romans 5 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. We know this is true, just look around you. There's death all over the place, but Jesus changed everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, Oh death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. How, how did that happen? Well, Colossians 2 says this. He disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. For he has put everything under his feet. Speaking of the Father, putting everything under the feet of Jesus. And so then Jesus can actually say this to us in Matthew chapter 10, verse eight. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely you have received freely give. We live with a dominion theology that says those who are in Christ walk in the authority and dominion that Jesus purchased for us. So here's what's at play. Know what you carry. And then, once you know what you carry, look down verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So when we pray, here's how we pray. In Jesus' name be healed. On earth as it is in heaven. Come, body, come into alignment. In heaven, there's no no ailment. In heaven, there's there's no issue. So we actually ask, in this body, would we see heaven come to earth? That's how we pray. Speak the the name of Jesus over people. Um, my dream is this, that Newburg would become a sickness-free zone. That's my dream, that Newburgh would be known as a sickness-free zone. I have a dream of a time when Newburgh is synonymous with a place to be healed, that people would travel here from f- long distances just to get touched by God. But, but, but every prophetic word... Even scripture itself requires a people who lean into the word to see the impossible happen. So even though we have this vision, we need a people who actually lean into seeing Newberg become a sickness free zone. And here's how it starts. I just want to end by this. Imagine a few scenarios. Imagine that you're at work and a co-worker shares with you uh, that their mother has just been diagnosed with a horrible disease. And normally you would have just said, oh, That's too bad. I'm really sorry to hear about that. But in a moment, you take a risk and you say, can I, I know this is crazy, but can I pray for your mom? Um, I I just believe that God can heal. Can I do that? And then she gets better. Imagine that. Or uh, imagine that you have a professor who's um, struggling with hope and with life direction. Make no mistake, people over the age of 30 continue to struggle with life direction at times. But you Come to class not just to learn but to bless and you bring a prophetic word that you, that you share with them and it changes the course of their life. Uh, imagine this. Imagine that you're sitting at chapters and you see someone walk in on crutches and normally you would just be like, oh, they'll get better eventually. But you say to yourself, wait a second. <laughs> I, I, there's, I have a dominion to take care of. <laughs> I have a theology that requires that I do something about sickness. And so you go up to that person and you say, hey, can I, can, I, can I pray for you? And you see their pain go from a 10 to a 3 on the pain scale. Look, we can talk, and I'm more than happy to talk about it, it's just not, we don't have time in this message. We can talk about what happens if nothing happens. Trust me, I've been there many times. But let me ask you this. What if you step out, what if you risk, and everything changes? Then what happens? Then what is our town marked by? So will you take a risk to see Newburgh and the Willamette Valley become a valley of healing? Will you risk? Let's put up the last slide. While the world is clamoring for the physiological needs, the safety needs, love and belonging, let's give them the top through an encounter with their maker. Let's give them the top through an encounter with their maker. Let's stand together as we close.